Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for the privilege we have as your people to gather together in your name. This morning as we read publicly your word and receive from what your Holy Spirit has prepared for us this Sunday, we ask that our hearts will be obedient to your voice this morning and to heed your word. So help us as we receive it in Jesus' name, amen. We'll be in Acts chapter 2. From verses 37. 37 to the end of the chapter. Now when they had heard this, let me just back up and read from verses 36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received this word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, in prayer, and the fee and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were gathered, were together, and had all things in common, and sold their positions and goods and divided them among all as they had need. So continually daily. Continuing, sorry, daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved, which means it was something that continued. Today our subject or our topic for today is the real fruit of 
conversion. The real fruit of conversion. And this is the process of changing or causing something to change from one form to the other. Matthew chapter 3 verses 8, the Bible says, Therefore bear fruit worthy of repentance. In other words, when we say we have made a change, we are turning around. Is it, is it just a word of mouth or it is something that has been birthed from the inside and now we can attest it from the outside? When you're saying you are a changed man, you're a changed woman, what do you really mean? Have you changed your direction? Have you changed your perspective about things and especially about God? When you're saying you are saved, what are you saved from? You're saved from lying? You're saved from thieving? You're saved from doing things that ain't right? What are you saved from? And when does this process even occur? The process of, of conversion. When a person heeds the gospel, the conversion begins. When a person pays attention to the gospel, then it begins to happen. Paying attention to what? The gospel. We have mentioned probably in a few weeks, you know, the elements of the gospel, which I'll just read quickly as a recap for us to just get it on our minds again. But number one, we had said that it is Holy Spirit empowered. The gospel is Holy Spirit empowered. Jesus said to them, you will receive power after when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. So the first thing is it is Holy Spirit empowered and then it is founded upon the Old Testament scriptures. That is why when Jesus was with the disciples, um, he taught them from, the Bible says he opened the scrolls from Moses and the prophet and he taught them. That clearly shows us that the gospel is founded upon the Old Testament scriptures too. And the gospel is all about Jesus. If Jesus is not the center of the gospel, then it is another gospel. It is not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then Christ's death, burial, and resurrection is central to the message of the gospel. His death, burial, and resurrection. And then the gospel is logical rather than emotional. 
Because if it's just emotional, then after we, you know, the, the message has come and it messes up with our emotion a little bit, when we go out and the emotions are gone, the gospel does not remain in our hearts again. You have to think about it logically. It's not just something that messes up with the emotions. Then it brings sins to conviction. There must be conviction of my life, of the lifestyle I am living or the lifestyle I led before receiving Christ. Then also, as the gospel is preached, it requires something of the listener. You don't just listen and then forget about it. Blessed are those who will be doers of the word rather than just listen and go. So it requires something of you and me. And then forgiveness of sin is the real issue that is brought with the gospel. And then the gospel is universal and eternal. The gospel also includes an exhortation to separate from the world. You are called from the world into the marvelous light of God. And then we're going to look at a few aspects of this conversion and how it really applies to our lives. We see here in the Bible that after this wonderful preaching by Peter, this is what happened. Verses 37, the Bible says, now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart. So the first thing that happens when the real gospel, when the true gospel is preached, is the listener will be cut to the heart. There's conviction of sin that leads to a change of heart. If we will hear the gospel, if we listen to God's word, then nothing happens to us. We see it's, it's either the person presenting the gospel didn't present it right, or the person listening is choosing to disregard the word of God. Because when the word of God comes to anyone, it doesn't matter where you are. There has to be something that will happen in our hearts. There must be a change in our heart. The Bible says that they were cut to their hearts and say to Peter and the rest of the apostles, man and brethren, what shall we do? When the gospel comes to people and they receive it, this is what they will ask. What must we do? I don't know what you ask after you have heard the gospel. Because we must ask ourselves questions after we receive God's word. What does God want me to do? Through his word, what does he want me to do? 
They were cut to heart, and they asked, what must we do? When people ask what to do, you know what you do to them? You tell them what to do. What shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent. They heard the gospel. It drove right into their hearts. And this became a reality in their hearts. And they asked, what must we do? And because Peter the apostle knew the heart of the problem, he didn't just say, well, maybe go home and think about your life. You guys have heard the gospel. Just go and think about it. Perhaps if you will receive a conviction, come back and, you know, let's have a one-on-one. Let's talk. Which seems to be a reasonable thing. But what did he say here? Repent. Repent. Listen, friends. If we will hear the gospel, if we'll hear the true gospel of Jesus Christ, and there is no repentance in our hearts, in our lives, it means we'll be living in disobedience. God's word. If it doesn't lead us to repentance, then it means we are living in disobedience to God's word. We are disregarding what God is speaking to us. Say, repent. What must we do? Repent, and there will be forgiveness. And also an outward proof of what happened in the inside. So you repent, you're forgiven of your sins, and then you'll be baptized as a sign of showing the world that there is a regeneration. There is something that has happened in the inside of me. And he continues to say that when that happens, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This gift that we received as the disciples of Jesus Christ, he says, it does not just belong to us, it belongs to you and to every other person in the world that Jesus himself will call to himself. That is what he says. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Today in our last service in the, towards the end of our last service, we'll do baptism. And I just want to remind us that baptism does not save you. Baptism does not save anyone. 
It is an outward expression of what has happened in the inside. If, it's, if there's no conviction of sin, then whatever we do will just like a ceremonial rite that people do. Many other denominations, you will be told, if you must sing in the choir, you must be baptized. If you have to serve with this church, in this church, you must be baptized. If you want your children to, you know, be taken care of or this to happen, you must be baptized. So people will just come for baptism because there's something that I need the church to do for me. I need that paper. The government will need it at some point, so I'll just go and get baptized. And to be honest, some of us, back then, we got baptized because of one of these reasons. In my times, at least, when we were to look for the ID, identification card, one of the requirements was you must have a baptismal card. <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> you want an ID, you must be dumped in the water. And so why? We, we saw a lot of people get baptized Many of them, I think, they just want their documents to be in order. So what will we do? Just go and register with the church. They'll baptize you and you'll have this document. And we're keeping the records of people who have no conviction of sin at all, yet they have a document that says they were baptized. There must be a conviction within that will lead you to baptism. That will say, because I have accepted Christ, I know for sure that he saved me. I know for sure that I'm a changed man or woman, and I want to tell it to the world. It is a testimony of what God has done in me, and I want the world to know. I don't know the reason why you were baptized for those who have been baptized. You'll ask other people, why, why getting baptized today? They'll say, I have waited too long. I don't know if that is a reason enough for you to get baptized. You have waited for long enough to do what? Christ will forgive you and you will receive the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. You see what he's telling them? 
that if for us to receive Christ, it is him who works in us even to receive him. We do not have any goodwill within us to do good or even to receive him. He helps us because we are a weak people. As far as the Lord Jesus Christ will call. Think about it. And he continues to say in verses 40, and with many other words, he testified and exalted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Think about it before we get in there. Think about this for a moment. He said to us last week, it is just the third hour in the morning. Whatever you see happening, these men and women are not drunk. They're not drunk. It is a prophecy that is being fulfilled. That God said he will pour his spirit upon all flesh. And think about it. He is preaching, maybe give him maybe an hour. From 9 to 10, he's preaching the gospel and people are paying attention. He is really yelling it out. And then after that, in the middle of it, they interject and they say, hey, what must we do? Because you have just pointed what the problem is. You've just mentioned the things that I've done. You mean that I'm the one who took him to the cross? You mean that it's not just the Roman guards who killed him, it is my sin that took him to the cross? Wait a minute. What must we do? What must we do? And this interjection was not just something, you know, that came out like, hey, man, you know, what can we do? Think about it when they um, were taking Jesus to Pilate and the rest of the leaders, and they were greatly offended with him, and they're saying, hey, crucify him, crucify him, and instead give us Barabbas. Take the same intonation, take the same voice that is responding to the apostle and say, hey, what must we do? These are people who are in pain because of their sins. What must we do? A great preacher will always warn his flock. Will always warn his flock. And this is what he says. Be saved from this perverse generation. Be saved from this perverse generation. What is a perverse generation? Perverse. This is... The word perverse means showing a deliberate desire to behave in a way that is unreasonable or unacceptable, which means their reasoning 
was unacceptable. They are the ones who took Jesus to the cross. Their sins took Jesus to the cross. So for them to reject him, the apostle will say, hey, you guys are perverse. This is a perverse generation. And the Greek Bible uses the word scoliosis. Scolios, mean, meaning crookedness. Maybe your version is saying, you know, crooked generation. At least the King James Version. Scolios, crookedness. And do you know this is where we get the English word scoliosis? Which is a condition where the spine is not aligned properly. Your spine is not aligned properly. So the people who have this condition, they do not walk straight. Right, Uticus? <laughs> they don't walk straight. They have a bend because there is defect in their spinal cord. Sometimes you'll see the, the structure of their back. They struggle even to walk, people who have this condition. And medically they say, maybe an, uh, unless they find out a, problem, uh, a solution, but it's a problem that has no cure. Scoliosis. And you think about it, the apostle is using this connotation in relation to the group of people who are listening. In other words, they're saying there is a defect <laughs> with what is happening with their lives. Your lives ain't straight. Your life ain't straight. There's another condition that is called neuromuscular scoliosis. And this condition makes people deteriorating, um, especially the way we would try to sit. It makes people not stable, so people will always lean towards something to be stable. Or other people, when they want to sit, they want to use their hands to help them stabilize their backs. Because you guys know, when your back is hurting, you can't sit well, right? Even after just sitting for a while when you're traveling, you want to straighten your back. This condition causes people to lean, or it causes an even in our sitting posture, causing people to use their arms for support. I'm also still wondering why the apostle will bring this medical connotation when he's addressing the conditions of our hearts. Which means many of us must be suffering 
with the condition in our lives that is called scoliosis or a spiritual scoliosis, where you're not stable, you're not thinking straight, your, your, your ways are not straight. You're not coming out clean. And they say, hey, be saved from this generation that has a condition. And this condition cannot be salvaged. At least the words or the physical condition, if they say it cannot be salvaged. But we have a good news with the spiritual one that it can be salvaged. How? When people repent from their sins. When people repent, it aligns their spiritual spine to say. Think about, you know, even when you're trying to bend, you're bending this way, or you're bending the other way, or you're leaning forward or backwards. If your spine is not right, you won't be able to do all these things. It aligns properly. So that is why, you know, even for the learners, they will always advise you to sit properly. If you always sit like this <laughs> in class, like the back benches, the, the teachers will always have a problem with you. Like, hey, sit properly. <laughs> sit properly. The back benches have this problem, right? How long has this condition affected us as a people? How long? And what is the cure? So our point number one was the listener will be cut to the heart when there is conversion. And then point number two, there will be a change of priorities or a change of lifestyle. You don't receive Jesus Christ and remain to be the same. You can't. You know the reason why people don't respect the church nowadays so much is because they see the lifestyle in church is just like any other lifestyle out there. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not that old, but at least when I got born again, those years back then, people respected the church. Things are happening within the government. They would go to the pastors to consult them at least. There's a problem in the village. They must involve the pastors at least. People would not steal from the church as they steal even from our church today. The church environment was respected. We 
don't see people respecting the church. Nowadays, people will walk straight into the church. They will cast on the, the, the pastors and the leaders as they say whatever they want inside the church. Why? Probably because we have scoliosis. There's a defect in our lives, and we need to turn around. With many other words, it means he didn't just, what we read was just part of what he preached. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Come out of this condition, for it has no cure. Come to a place where you will be saved. And because these people understood what it meant, that is why they asked, what must we do, brothers? There was a change of priority. And you know what they did? How do we know that? Because they gladly received God's word. He said, and those, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. Those who gladly received his word were baptized. An amazing time. I, I don't know how many, this was a busy day for these apostles. Baptizing 3,000 people in a day, that was quite something. We baptize maybe a few people here and you feel like, I'm getting tired, maybe. Hundreds, the thousands. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. You know what is amazing? Is when these 3,000 people are cut to the heart, they have repented their sins, they are baptized, we have other thousands who went away without receiving the Lord Jesus, who went with a condition back at home. Maybe they're saying, well, it might be right, it might not be right. Let me go and think about it. Procrastinators. People will say, maybe, let, let me give this time. Maybe it's just a wooshy-wooshy something that is happening. It is going to die. It is a good thing that is happening, but it's going to die. That is what they say, at least, when a church is planted and God is walking in people's lives. Say, just give them time. Give them time. It's going to die off. It's going to die. They went. And the Bible continues to say, and that is an important point for us to note, that they gladly receive God's word. They didn't say that it didn't 
caused them to think otherwise. Because it went through, and the, the, the Word of God is trying to, you know, sieve all these things that are happening in their hearts. The, the, the Word of God is driving through the things they did, the culture they believed, the things they were holding on to. All these things are being broken because they gladly received God's word. And the Bible says, and they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and prayers. And I'll ask you to please refer to the post that we have at the lobby about the pillars of the church. And there's some that are mentioned here. Steadfastly continued in the apostles' doctrine, which means what was brought with the apostle. That is God's word. In fellowship, they were together. They contributed to oneness through sharing what they heard. And in the breaking of bread, they ate together. They had communion together, a very important aspect of the church. And then they were always in prayer together always seeking the will of the Father, God's will. They sought it as they met together. I don't know if these aspects, you know, are applying to our lives today that will continue steadfastly in the teachings, the doctrines of the apostles. God's word, being in unity, having meals together, having communion together. That is why we do it as often as we meet here at church, because it's a vital part of our fellowship, and then prayer. The enemy will always try to get people apart. The enemy will always try to put us apart. But if we are in unity, we win. If we are not, he wins. So it depends with where you are. If we stay together, we win the battle. If we don't stay together, he wins. We'll try many other times to do things in our own strength. That we want to be in unity, but it is very carnal how we approach this unity. It is very carnal how we approach the fellowship. It is very carnal even how we pray, how we do things. 
It doesn't matter how in our strength we try to be inclusive. Sin will always make us exclusive. Doesn't matter. We'll try many things. If the gospel is not the center of whatever we share with people, we know that it will fail too soon. And remember this. If we don't continue in these aspects, if we don't continue daily, the devil does. <laughs> he continues to do his work daily. He's at work. He wants people to go down with him. And they continued steadfastly. And then verses 43, the Bible says, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. The next point is, there is the fear of God in the true repentant heart. There is God's fear when people truly repent. This is not the fear of just being afraid. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Meaning when you begin to revere God, when you begin to fear the Lord, the Bible essentially says you begin to be wise. you begin to be very wise. They began to be wise as they paid attention to God's word. I pray that we will be wise as we receive God's word every week, every other time we gather together in his name. The Bible says here, the fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all those who believed were together and had all things in common. They, why are they having things in common? People who never regarded other people. They never loved these people as much as it is happening right now. Why? Because this love, Jesus said it, that when you love one another, the world will know that you are my disciples. They will know for sure. And it will be, you know, it will affect other people. It will be contagious. This love will be contagious. And our last point for today is there was a change in relationship. They became one body and Christ's love overshadowed them. They became one, the body of Christ. That is why they are sharing things in common. And sold, 
their possession and goods and divided them amongst all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily to those who were being saved. As I bring the worship team, think about this last word. This essentially, when you see things repeated, especially in the gospel and in the book of Acts and in the letters that are written, if it's repeated throughout these letters, or these writings, you will realize that it's something that God wants us to pay attention to and perhaps to make it our daily routine. Because the um, continuing steadfast in the apostles' doctrine this has been repeated many times in the Gospels, in the book of Acts, and in the letters that are written. It is repeated. But what is not repeated is this other part from verses 45. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided amongst them as anyone had need. Because many people try to make this as a norm that when we meet as a church, everyone is supposed to sell their things. You're supposed to sell your car and bring it so that we can eat it. <laughs> supposed to sell your house so that everyone would, would be equal in the church. That is not what the Bible tells us. At the moment, this was what brought them together. As everyone had need, it applied to their life that very beginning we cannot try to force that application in our, in our lives today. What we must do is we must continue in the breaking of bread. We must continue in the obedience of the elders that God has set for us. We must continue in the public reading of God's word, we must continue in prayers. And if be there, people will come to church who are not born again. They must repent of their sins because the word of God is read to them. If there's no repentance, that means people are probably living in disobedience. God's word. And maybe you're born again and you're asking, why do I need to repent? You know what the prophet, John the prophet, said? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Which means if you have repented, we gotta see fruit of your repentance. If we don't see them, it means you didn't repent. You're covering up things. And how long will you cover them up? 
How long will you walk in this condition that is messing up your spine? How long will you hide in the things you have done for years and just saying, God is looking at my heart? There must be a fruit of true repentance. I don't know if there's something that you need to repent of. Maybe there is, maybe there's not. But the question is, do you think that there is fruit in your repentance? Do you think it is visible that we are able to see it? What John the Baptist is saying essentially, we are supposed to see it. If you say you have repented, we must see it. You can't live a double life and say you did repent. You receive nothing from the Lord. But what about this? What about me just living with my boyfriend? We, we ain't doing nothing. We're just living together. We, we are helping each other. That is what people say. We help each other with, with our financial whatever. We, we are training ourselves to be together, to pay rent together, to pay our bills together, to do this together. Liar. You're living with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, and saying, yeah, praise the Lord. We're good. Nothing is happening. At least from our own experience, we know that you're human. And you people will not remain pure. Oh, we are destined to be married. We are getting married next week. We are getting married in a month's time. We, this is going to happen to us. We are doing this at least. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. If you indeed have repented. The people around you, do they even have a clue that you're born again? Do they even have a slight idea that you're a follower of Jesus Christ? I mean, sometimes, I don't know, sometimes I, I, I desire to hear the words I was hearing when I got born again. People would meet and they would share testimonies. Praise the Lord, brother. The Lord has been faithful to me. The Lord has been good to me. 
It has been a, a tough week. This has happened and this has happened. But thank God, we are here. The Lord has taken us through a lot of things. At least, even if I didn't have food yesterday, at least I am here today trusting in God. At least you're here today. Think about it. Do we even share our testimonies with people? They overcame through their testimonies and by the blood of the Lamb. His blood will never lose its power. I pray that the Lord will walk in our hearts as we think about these words. God, we thank you this morning. We thank you that you are a faithful God. You remain to be faithful. And we thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for our lives, Lord. Maybe we are at a crossroad. We don't know where to go. We have the freedom, but we don't know how to choose. Please help us, God. Walk in our hearts. For those of us who need repentance, I pray, oh God, that you convict them of the sins of omission and commission. And I pray for those who have confessed their sin, those who are living to please you, I pray that you give us the strength to do so. We are not able to do that with our own strength. So please, God, help us. But we thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.